glad you're here as we're restarting the 9 o'clock service. Our first service um, at 10 o'clock was so full, we had to do something to create more space. Um, believe it or not, there are more people here now than when we first started Waypoint. So this is kind of nostalgic because um, these smaller groups are really fun and they bring back a lot of good memories. God starts with small things and he does some pretty incredible stuff with that. This morning, I want to draw your attention to um, a difficult subject. Uh, um, the best I can do, and this is probably true about everything that I do up on here, the best I can do is draw attention to it and then you'd have to do the work. You're the only one who knows the way you think about this. You're the only one who knows if you're going through something right now. You're the only one who knows if you've buried it. Um, and the reason um, you're going to have to do the work, in, and this is such a touchy subject, is because from what I can tell, our culture has a view on this that most of us have adopted. We've kind of gone along with the flow of this. And it's become kind of a normal, so common for us to think about this in the terms that our culture does, that even if somebody attempted to have a healthy response, I'm not sure they have permission to have a different response than what our culture currently accepts. And the problem is, what the culture accepts as responses to all of this stuff, none of it's really good or healthy. We avoid it, we bury it, we don't talk about it, it isolates us. And so um, I'm going to talk about it in a little different way today. I, I, I think I need to find a way to help you understand the way our culture thinks about this so that you can identify if you're there with them. Do you have this going on in your life? Is there something that you need to do that changes the way you think about this? So we're going to look at what God has to say about this. But we're going to do it as we look at the way our culture has kind of set this forward. And so many of us have kind of just jumped on board. Now, um, the thing that gets stirred up in us, uh, you've kind of seen the screen here, uh, is the lows kind of overtake the highs in your life. It starts to dominate. And there's all kinds of things that cause that to happen. I made a list of the different things that I've run into with people over the years that have um, caused them to feel like the lows are so low that they're really not sure how they're going to get out from underneath this again. Like one, you set a goal. It was a good goal. You worked hard towards the goal. In fact, you gave blood, energy, time to that goal. And you thought you had a shot at it. And then the realization sets in that the thing that you thought you could accomplish is never going to happen. And the dream that you have with that thing starts to die. And your mind is consumed with what could have been and the miss that took place of not meeting that goal. It could happen with a relationship. It could, it could be somebody that you're dating. It could be somebody, maybe you got engaged or even married to that person. It doesn't have to be romantic. It could be a friendship that you've had for a long period of time. But that relationship comes to an end. You break up or there's a divorce. Or the friend simply walks away from this friendship that you've had for a long time. And you feel a hole in your life that had once been filled by somebody that's now gone. Could be that somebody that you loved and cared for passed away. 
doesn't matter if it was a surprise to you or if you were expecting it. What matters is they filled a place in your life that was important and now they're gone and you're left devastated by that moment. It could be as simple as you had an expectation that you had going into this year. 2020 was going to be your year, right? You were going to be a senior. Things were going to go so well. You did not see March coming. And you didn't see the stuff that would happen with your job. And everything is messed up. And whatever expectations you had, they're long gone. But you still can't get over the fact that you really thought it would turn out different. And there's a sense of hollowness in you that you kind of got shortchanged or you're missing out on something important. Could be that happens with your health. You've been healthy for a long period of time, but now you're not. And in a season of COVID, for that, for you, that means you're now even more isolated than you would have been. People are disconnected from you for your protection and safety. And this health issue that you have is now really tormenting you. And it could be you or it could be somebody else. I've watched this happen with other people too. Somebody that they know and love now has a health problem. And there's nothing that they can do to help with that. Seen it happen when people get dementia. There's somebody who was important in your life and they're still there, but they're not. And you don't know what to do when that person kind of disconnects from you and you thought you had the support system that no longer exists. This happens in financial stuff. This happens in, it could be as simple as you being a planner. Like you, you had the greatest plan for a vacation this year with your family. And then it got canceled. Like it's gone. And the hope that you had of how that would turn out and how good that would be for you and, and your group together, all gone out of your control, and all kinds of emotions get stirred up when this stuff happens. You feel de defeated, you feel dejected, feel like you've lost control a little bit. Sometimes we even get angry, and although we don't like to admit it, we feel sad. Another way to look at this whole list is that at some point in your life, you experienced a loss. That's why I'm convinced this happens to everybody because everybody will experience a loss. And if the first thought in your mind is, oh no, I haven't experienced anything that big. Loss is big. This is part of the problem. We've defined it as something that must be huge and our thing must be really small. But here's what I'm becoming convinced of. See, I think since this COVID thing kind of rolled into our lives, as large groups of people, swaths of us, have now had all kinds of loss spill into our lives. Small things, but they're piling up. And because we've not learned how to deal well with loss, it starts to feel like a mountain. And there's tension between us and there's all kinds of disruption that's happening in our lives. Because what would have been just a small pile from the normal everyday life that we lead has now become a big pile. And we end up with far more tension, far more messes in our life because here's, here's the idea. God had a plan for how we would deal with loss. It's, it's found all through the scriptures. It's incredible. It talks about it a lot in, in language that it would surprise you. 
Go and look up what the scripture says about mourning and sorrow. It's considered a good thing. And this is part of the problem. So our culture does not look at mourning and sorrow as a good thing. And so what I want to do is I want to try to set up the way our culture looks at this. And I want to see, I want you to be honest and just ask, do I have any of these views as well? Because if you do, they're shaping how you're dealing with some stuff. Because what God had in mind is that you would lean in and face this stuff that you feel sad about. And that there would be something good that would come out of that. But because we have adopted so many of the cultural standards on this, things don't go so well. So let me give you the first, the biggest one. The, the biggest idea that I think our culture believes about this stuff. I think our culture believes sad is bad. Sad's bad. Like, um, and you can see this almost immediately because if you run into somebody who is sad, it almost becomes your primary mission in life to cheer them up and to get this thing stopped. And we want to get it stopped because we think sad leads to really bad places. Sad's bad, man. Where this is going to take somebody is not good. And we've got to get them away from the cliff. I, I want to like to suggest to you this morning that part of the reason sad is bad in our culture is because we don't deal with it well. And because we don't deal with it well, it does have bad outcomes. But if we were willing to embrace it in a different way, to face it in a different way, it, didn't, it wouldn't have to have the kind of outcome that we're concerned about. Um, I, I know this because I've, I've experienced a little bit of this with my own life. Um, when we first got married, I, I made a big mistake with my wife. There's a really long list of when I first got married, the mistakes that I made with my I'm just picking one, all right? But this was a big one. It was, it was not good at all. Uh, my wife, who is a very emotional being, and, and I am not, right? And so when we got married, she was emoting a lot and, uh, because I was making a lot of mistakes, and she would cry. And I said to her at one point, I think your crying is manipulating. It's, it doesn't actually allow us to have a logical conversation to solve the problem. And, um, and so she started to try to not emote. When she was sad, she didn't do that around me. And we only realized later that we had created a huge problem. And you know where it came from? Sad is bad, man. You're not helping this situation right now by expressing all of this remorse and upset. We, we can just have a logical conversation and solve it. And it was the wrong move. And so as she started to press that stuff in, it still was happening in her, but there was no place for her to get it out. And we started seeing all kinds of awful outcomes. Jesus is in the middle of a mountainside. He'd seen a group of people coming, and he wanted his disciples to just come off to the side with him so he could talk. And it gets recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he's just having a conversation with his guys. And um, I want to read a verse out of there that I don't hear um, taught on very often. But these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. And he says this in verse 4 of chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
He actually said, listen, when you experience sorrow, there's, there's blessing that come with that. Now, let, these guys don't know yet. They've not fully grasped that Jesus is going to die. And they're going to be so distraught and devastated by that that they're going to leave the ministry and go back to their old jobs. They're going to be done with this. That's how shook up they're going to be. And Jesus is preparing them for all of this. And what he doesn't say is don't mourn. He says, no, mourn. I want you to mourn. Why? Because mourning leads somewhere. See, this is what God thinks. Sorrow leads somewhere. Did you see where it said you would be comforted? See, God has a goal when we step into this that eventually he's going to take it to a place where something good or positive can come out of that. Unimaginable for us that that could be the case. But this is what he does best. He meets us in really difficult places. And he changes us and he molds us to be something different that can deal with the circumstances in a way that we would never have saw coming. But when we decide to avoid it, because sad is bad, when we back away, when we hide from it, when we bury it, when we don't want to discuss it, we miss out on where God may be taking this. And so sad is bad prevents us from having a healthy interaction that God had in mind. Now, there's a second thing that I would say, because we think sad is bad, this is what happens too. Number two, the way our culture believes about this, is they believe that sad is best experienced alone. It's best if you deal with your sadness on your own. And the reason they think that is because sad is bad. If I, if I express my sadness and your immediate response is to somehow fix me, and I don't want that right now, I'm going to avoid you. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to carry this weight. You know what's weird? We even feel guilty for being sad at times. And our guilt causes us to back away from everybody who could be involved in our situation. I, I feel bad about this, so I'm going to go alone. And we withdraw. I think it's funny. I think um, the two words that I hear the most from people who are in a bout of sadness are, I'm fine. The last thing they'll tell you is, I'm sad. So the overwhelming sense is, I've got to walk on this thing by myself. I've got to solve this myself. But I want you to see what Psalm 34, 18 says about how God reacts to this sorrow that we have. Listen to this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Those two words are so strong in their descriptions. A sense of being brokenhearted, a sense of being crushed in spirit. Somebody who suffers some sort of loss feels those things in deeply. And what does God do? Comes close saves. See, what's so weird to me about this is that we have taken on this idea that I've got to go through this alone and I feel guilty for being sad about this in the first place, that we even decide that we shouldn't welcome God into the midst of our own sorrow. We'll just handle it. And the source of somebody who would 
be with there, be close, the source of somebody who could save you, is held at arm's length in the process. Why? Because I got to do this on my own. Because I feel bad for being sad, because sad is bad, right? We have this thing that happens in us. Here's, here's the way God thinks about this. God thinks sorrow is we, not me. It's always been we, not me. See, in your moment of loss, whatever it is, doesn't matter how big or small, the goal of this sorrow, this mourning that you see in the scriptures, is that not only is God invited into the mix, but that others are too. And that it becomes a we process that we go through. But it's almost impossible to do right now in our culture because the people that we invite into the process with us simply want us to cheer us up and to get over it. And so we're not really sure what to do. And so that's why I'm hoping that we're going to take four weeks to talk about this because I think this is such a, um, a big thing going on in people's lives. And if we could just reshape the way that we interacted with each other, we could become the kind of help and support that could turn this into a we. It was always meant to be that. You were not supposed to go through sorrow and mourning alone. God wanted to be there close. And if we are the church, his hands and feet, you would expect that we would be part of that process too. Now there's um, one more thing that I think um, I have to draw our attention to because I see this so much. Um, and, and it's difficult uh, because uh, our culture really does believe this. Our culture believes that you should compare or that you should discount your loss by comparing to others. <laughs> I hear it all the time. So you've just suffered um, a loss and you'll say, but it's not that big of a deal because I didn't lose a loved one. What you don't know is I'm sitting in the room with people who've lost a loved one who are saying, it's not so bad because I didn't lose a loved one that way. And everybody's discounting the way that they would feel or think by simply comparing themselves to everybody else. Bad news, you can always find somebody worse off. And by doing so, you give yourself permission not to feel as deeply as you should. Paul had something to say about this comparison thing that we do. Um, I, want, I want to actually read it off the screen because I, I found a paraphrase. Um, the NIV, um, I would have to explain for a little while, but this just says it directly and I love it. Um, we're not, understand, putting ourselves in a league with those who boast that there are superiors. We wouldn't dare do that. But in all of this comparing and grading and competing, they quite miss the point. They miss the point. Look, we, we do this comparing thing across all our areas of our lives, but I want to tell you right now, when it comes to loss, God sees comparing as completely missing the point. See, it doesn't matter how big or small the issue is. The fact is that you feel a sense of sadness for what just kind of went out of your life. And there is a responsible thing that you could do to deal with that, and that's to face it. To face it, to lean into that, and to go through a process of mourning. Sometimes that's a day. 
Sometimes it's a week. For some people, it's months. And for other things, it takes years. And generally, we don't have kind of patience to go through a process that takes that long. But if the outcome is something positive, wouldn't it be worth it? See, um, he said, listen, if you'll mourn, if you'll mourn, I'm going to bless you. Because I have a place that I want to take you. And I want you to understand that there's an outcome. The outcomes that we're all after are really important and they're good. And we're going to spend some time on those in the next few weeks. But there's a key ingredient that we need in the mix. And the scriptures talk about it in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says this. Brothers and sisters, now he's talking about somebody who's lost a loved one. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See, the ingredient that changes our sorrow, our mourning into something that becomes a positive thing that we should lean into is the idea that God intends to interject hope into your life in a way that you need in that moment. Hope that you're not going to find when you decide to not enter into the process. You won't discover it. You're not going to come across it because it comes from a source. And when you miss out on that source of God himself being with you in the midst, you miss out on hope. Um, I've actually found this process playing out in the scriptures. It's been fascinating to me to read this section of scripture I've wondered for the longest time why it was in there until I started really um, dealing with this idea of grief and hope and all of that. The book of Lamentations is about a group of people who've lost their freedom. If you want to look at people who are deeply grieving something, go lose your freedom. Become somebody else's slave. And so um, the first three chapters, man, they are writing about how horrible that is. And they get to a point in chapter 3, verses 19 where they're just remembering it. And listen to the words they use. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Doesn't that sound like how you feel when you've lost something really important and valuable to you? Feels like bitterness, like you're drinking some gall-flavored drink, and it just makes you sour on all of life. And he goes on and says, I well remember them, like they will not leave my mind. I well remember these. They're constantly in there. I can't sleep. I think about this stuff constantly. And my soul is downcast within me. And I recognize that these people were going through the same things that we were. Because this describes so many people that I run into who are dealing with something they've lost. But then verse 21 turns a corner. It says, yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And there's that ingredient. Something's going on that brings hope into his mind that causes him to have a different outcome, different view of what's happening here. And this is what it is, verse 22. This is, I love this. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. 
So they're in the middle of losing their freedom, but they remember. They remember God is with them, and he has a great love for them, and it starts to change their outlook. I think this is why it's kind of tragic sometimes uh, that I run into people who are going through really different, difficult seasons in life, and their question to me is, why is God doing this to me? And they have made their adversary the one person who could come to their aid and bring them healing. They have laid blame on the, on the actions of God and not understood that what he wants instead is to show up in your life in a significant way in the middle of a loss and interject hope because of his great love for you that changes the whole story. This is what God intends to do in our lives. And unfortunately, because so much of what we've done is adopted what the culture views on this subject, we can't even have conversations about our sadness with each other. We don't know how to respond to each other. And so I'm hoping to reframe this whole thing. Because what God had in mind was that someday you will not be sad. You'll be in a place where there will be no loss. It's going to be really good. But you're not there yet. And part of our lives are going to be these important moments where the people that we love are gone. And we've got to find a way to deal with that in a healthy way. Where goals that we set are missed because it's out of our control. And we've got to find a way to deal with that in a healthy way. And right now, so much of this is piled up in our lives that's created tension with each other that we're missing the point. Friends, I, I don't know if you have adopted the idea that sad is bad. I don't know if you've become convinced that you need to go through that alone. I don't know if you've spent the time comparing what you're going through with other people so you can discount how you should feel about that. But I hope that you'll have the courage to ask those questions over the next week. And if there's something going on there in your life with some loss that you're facing right now, I hope that you'll bring that back to the scriptures and you'll see what God has to say about that. That he's convinced that sorrow leads somewhere. That it's supposed to be about we, not me. That he thinks just this comparing misses the point completely. And you'll decide to do some different work in your life. Because God wants to take you somewhere through your sorrow that you could never imagine. But you're going to have to be willing to let him do that work. Can I pray with you? God, I think um, I think I stumbled upon some of this stuff watching people um, mourn the loss of someone that they loved and realizing I had some of the same stuff going on in my life, but I didn't know how to categorize it because I compared what I had to what they had, and I knew that mine just was not that big of a deal. 
And the, the truth is, there really are different kind of losses. Some are more significant. But God, in the midst of whatever sadness or sorrow we face, you want to be present. You want to be invited in. You want your people to care enough about each other to carry each other. God, that's going to require us to change the way we think about this. And so I ask that you would begin the process of changing our hearts on this subject. That we'd be willing to get to a place where we could look at people who care about us and we could say, I'm sad and I don't know what to do. And that we would rally to each other. That there would be hope not because of what we say, but like you, our presence shows up. Your character of love and kindness changes everything. I ask you would give us the courage to face the losses that we are struggling, no matter how big or small, that you would be invited into that. We ask for the courage to do that. Don't
friends, it is so good to be with you this morning at 9 o'clock. Well done, 9 o'clock. Seriously, way to be here. You guys gave me your, your Sunday best, and it was amazing. Uh, we have a lot more coming in this highs and lows series, so make sure that you guys come here next week. So we'll see you then.